What's going on? And welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. Happy game day, Pelicans fans. New Orleans is back in action tonight. They welcome in the Atlanta Hawks. Unfortunately, a loss for the Pelicans last night. A shorthanded Pelicans fall to the Magic in overtime, 115 to 110. But the good news is the Hawks went to double overtime last night in San Antonio. So we'll see how that plays out tonight inside the Smoothie King Center. Joining us today is Mark Medina, NBA writer for USA Today. About a week ago, wrote a great article on Zion Williamson as a generational talent. Um, Threw some comparisons out there, LeBron James. It was a very good, well-read, well-written article, and we'll send you the link there in a little bit. But joining us now is Mark uh, from the West Coast. Mark, happy Good Friday to you, and I appreciate the time. Yeah, happy Good Friday to you. Appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for the kind words on the story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when reading of it, reading it, you know, there were a lot of great points, but first just wanted to start off with just your focus on why you decided to write this article now. Of course, Zion's been coming onto the scene as far as how he's been playing. Is that what kind of led you to write it, or was there something else that kind of inspired you to write the piece? Yeah, that's certainly a factor. I'm going to have to give uh, credit to one of my editors, Larry Starks, who, uh, you know, who was also brainstorming ideas. I mean, throughout the season, we're always, I'm always pitching ideas. Uh, my colleague Jeff Silka does as well uh, as is Larry. So uh, it, it came up on Larry's end. But yeah, it, it goes without saying that in my position as an NBA uh, writer for USA Today, we're, we're trying to cover things on a national scope and and Zion certainly falls in that category. So anytime there is a uh, an opportunity to do so, we'll do it. And I think we're basically just looking at the counter. They're about to play the Lakers. Uh, at that point, uh, you know, LeBron James hadn't gotten hurt. So there was a thought of, Hey, maybe doing something about Zion's development leading into that game. Um, and because of that game, looking into uh, the LeBron component, but frankly, uh, you know, as I started reporting and also just looking at numbers and talking to people, I mean, it was very clear that as much as there are some similarities, they're just different kinds of players and it's fine. Uh, so the, the story itself had more to do with, his second season than anything else and how it's coming along. Um, but yeah, that, that was the genesis of, of the whole idea. Yeah. And going back to that kind of comparison, when you are really basically saying they are two different players, is this basically the main similarity between those two is the hype surrounding them coming out, uh, you know, LeBron coming out of high school and then Zion coming out of one year at Duke. Is that maybe the biggest similarity between the two is just the hype surrounding these guys? Well, it's certainly a huge similarity because LeBron came out of high school as number one pick. Zion was one and done, number one pick, and they backed it up, you know, with substance. But I think that, you know, there are some similarities in the sense that, you know, they're just physical freaks of nature. And, and I say that as a compliment uh, that could just overpower opponents. You know, they have, you know, some positional versatility. They have a tremendous size, but you know, LeBron is more of a small forward. Zion's more of a power forward. You know, they are both playmakers, but I think, you know, for the most part, LeBron hasn't been like the primary point guard. Uh, he's played more off the ball where it looks like this season, the Pelicans are grooming Zion to really be that point forward. Um, and not to say that that would supplant the, their point guard entirely, but that's going to be part of his game. Um, but yeah, the, the comparisons that I've gotten, uh, Charles Barkley, Larry Johnson, you know, I talked with a scout during Zion's rookie season that likened him to a more polished version of Julius Randle. And keep in mind, this is before Julius went and made a made an all-star appearance this year. 
Um, but the reality is Zion's going to be better than those players. So the comparisons to those guys, uh, it had more to do with just his style of play than anything else. When you're looking at Zion in the grand scope of things, uh, with the hype that's surrounding him and, and the comparisons, is it is it crazy to think, though, that maybe it's tougher to compare him right now, just the fact that he's only played in less than 82 games in his career. How do you balance out that, well, he could be the next this and the next that with, well, I want to see how his game grows. And you're already seeing that from year one to year two based on just his health and him playing overall. Um, but how do you find that balance of, well, we still got to see what else is, is left in the bag here as he's not even approaching his first full season in the NBA? Yeah, without a doubt. That, that's the scary thing that makes this all intriguing. I think it's certainly not too early to say, even with what those exciting circumstances, uh, to say that, hey, he's going to be a generational talent. Uh, but I think that because of what you outlined, there is also a feeling that, hey, he's just getting started. Um, it, it's just amazing that last season – there was all these different things. He misses the first 44 games because of his knee injury. He has a, a minutes restriction where the Pelicans weren't necessarily locked on a specific number, but they were locked on limiting his bursts, uh, you know, each time he was on the court. And then, you know, they're in the bubble. He was missing a significant chunk of that because of family matter that you can't help but wonder as, as impressive as he is now, if he got a full season, how crazy or would it even been? I mean, I would argue that the Pelican playoffs last year. Uh, so you never know what the butterfly effect is with this, uh, with all that. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, even if the Pelicans are struggling, maybe they're not going to be in the playoffs. Maybe they won't even be in the play-in tournament. Who knows? That that isn't necessarily an indictment on Zion per se. I think that has more to do with just the team itself and how they – continue to evolve their roster. Uh, but that's also not to say that there isn't a higher ceiling. I mean, he is still a young player. Uh, there are certain things that, you know, he can do better defensively and continue to expand his game. Uh, but I think that he has all the ingredients of not just his talent, but frankly, the attitude. I mean, uh, you know, the, the more that I watched his game and talked to people around the league, they feel like he's made up of the right stuff where it's not just about the hype. It's not just about, you know, his highlight reels. He is a, a team guy and he is willing to put in the work and he is coachable. So all those things make it really intriguing to see what's next. Was that really what you learned when talking with everyone? Was that kind of the biggest common denominator? I know in the article you mentioned Stan Van Gundy, you talked to, to Mike Malone as well. With, with everyone else, what were some of the similarities that you heard from them as far as what they've seen from Zion that maybe you haven't mentioned just in your last answer there? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the obvious stuff was that, look, uh, he doesn't have the limitations anymore with minutes restrictions and injuries. Um, I think the other – theme that came to, into play is that even if there are, you know, things that he needs to improve on as a young player, i.e. defense, or maybe even gain into better shape or just being mindful that he has blind spots and can always, you know, just improve his routine or his dieting or his work habits. It wasn't necessarily an indictment on his character. It was more of, Hey, he's a young guy and he's figuring these things out. I think, the intriguing thing is all the big picture things that can be 
either a good sign or a red flag or a young on a young player, he's checking all the boxes that suggest he's doing the right thing. So while there might be a learning curve on just skill set and just chipping away at just things you don't know, uh, there didn't seem to be any big picture concerns about his intentions as a basketball player and what he's all about. Speaking of big picture, from a Pelican standpoint, um, you look at this team and how they're built overall. Of course, Brandon Ingram, one of the corner so pieces with Zion, and then it's really a lot of young guys around. You've seen Nikhil Alexander-Walker emerge with the absence of Lonzo. You've also seen a healthy Lonzo Ball putting up career numbers. What are you seeing from a national standpoint on the Pelicans and kind of their trajectory here? I know it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride all season long, um, but at the same time, uh, what have you seen from them that intrigues you about them, whether it's moving forward this season or even in the next season? Yeah, I, I really think that the only definitives with the Pelicans is that uh, it, they want to, they want it to, they want to make it about Zion and Brandon Ingram because they've been proven they have good chemistry and they've also shown a, a promising body of work that they've done special things and can continue to be even more special. I think everything else it's just about improving every, you know, the roster around them and then seeing what's there. As far as how they're doing this season, look, I frankly thought that they would be doing better. I thought that they would always be above 500 and that they would be definitively in the playoff picture. But I think in fairness, uh, this whole season's been kind of erratic. And when you look at the Western Conference itself, um, you know, before the All-Star break and before the trade deadline, it seemed to be that, after one through four, everything is else is up in the air. Now I think the Nuggets are making headway. It's probably now six through 12 or even 13 where any of those teams can fall in the standings, have a shot at making the playoffs, have a shot at making the playoffs for the playing tournament or have a shot of not making the playoffs. And so the Pelicans are still in that picture. And I think the common denominator with all those teams and you can just name them here, Portland, Dallas, San Antonio, Memphis, Golden State, Sacramento, New Orleans. Uh, they all have one or two really good pieces. They have, you know, a decent supporting cast. And then it's kind of the ups and downs of, you know, can they stay consistent with beating the teams that they're supposed to beat? Can they steal a win or two against some of the marquee games? And then how healthy can they be and how, you know, on the better side of luck and discipline, can they be with not losing guys because of the health and safety protocols? And I think for better and for worse, that's just evolved throughout the season. So who knows how this last half will play out. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Denver Nuggets. I kind of want to move on to the Western Conference in the playoff picture and look, they're 3-0 since the Aaron Gordon trade. And they seem like a team on the rise in the West, but now it seems like it's just an ad adding another team to the mix. You still have the two Los Angeles teams, despite the Lakers having injury issues. You still have Utah at the top there that everyone wants to forget about. Phoenix as well, who is the two seed, and now you bring in Denver. How does that trade for Denver change things as far as the Western Conference outlook? Like you said, it's kind of now more wide open than maybe people thought of at the beginning of the season when everyone was assuming it would just be, you know, Lakers, Clippers, and, and maybe the Jazz in there. Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, I think before the trade deadline, um, the Nuggets were among those tier teams that I was talking about earlier where, hey, they have a shot at making the playoffs or the playing tournament, but anything could happen. Now, I think it's it's guaranteed they're going to be part of the playoff picture, but I think it's also guaranteed that they have a fighter's chance, um, and that's all you can ask for. Now, me being objective, 
I don't think that they're going to get out of the Western Conference Finals. I, I still think that the odds go to the Lakers because uh, I still think that at the end of the day, even if they're going through some issues and LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't in the lineup, they're going to come back and they're going to be healthy. But you just never know. And, that, and that's, that's the thing that you have to take into account, that all this is predicated on health and just playing the best basketball at the right time. And so, you know, if I had a handicap, I, I go to the Lakers, I go to the then the Jazz, and then I think it's a toss-up between the Clippers, Suns, and Nuggets. But I think when you're looking at the Nuggets, um, we know what we're going to get on a night-to-night basis with Nikola Jokic. There's a reason why he's in the MVP conversation. Frankly, I think now one of the favorites because he's been – the most available. A lot of the other candidates got hit with the injury bug. Um, you know, there is, I think, some varying degrees of consistency with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., but there's no doubt that, hey, they are on the verge of being something great. Uh, they're young talent. And so here they're improving their depth and they're also fulfilling positional needs. Aaron Gordon isn't going to slow down or stop LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, but he can be at least a speed bump. Uh, JaVel McGee isn't a franchise game changer, but he can at least give the team rim protection and make life easier for Nikola Jokic. And I think Gordon and McGee combined make that team more of a running team where before that, a lot of things ran through Jokic. And Jokic will even admit through all his brilliance, he's not a fast player. So I think with that, when when you have a team that's given someone different looks in a playoff series – that can really make a difference between, you know, winning a series, making competitive or it being lopsided. And so I think with all those things there, I'm not going to say that they're going to beat those teams, but you're not going to be met with a laugh track. If you're, if you think that they have a chance to make it work and that's all you can do. Before I let you go here, great stuff here with Mark Medina of uh, USA today. Um, we talk about home court, especially this season without fans. I'm not sure how much that could play a part, but I feel like seeding can play a big part, especially with the injuries to the Lakers, who I think, like you, once they get their guys back, you know, it, it's going to be the same Lakers that we saw last year and for the beginning part of this year. But how much could it affect them as far as digging themselves in a hole where not only could it affect them being in maybe a 4-5 matchup or a 3-6, but also – in a second round matchup where, you know, if they fall that low, they could be seeing the Utah jazz in the, in the second round or, or something like that. I mean, how much do what the Lakers do can kind of factor into this Western conference playoff race, just based on how the seeding could be. Cause you're not, you might not see them as a one seed, like you maybe thought earlier in the year. Yeah. I think specifically for the Lakers, uh, I think that both home court and the seedings aren't really going to be factors at all, because I think, presuming LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to be healthy. And I, I don't, I haven't gotten any feeling that there's it's otherwise, I think the separation that they have uh, compared to even the Utah jazz is so deep that none of those things are going to really matter. What's going to matter is, Hey, you have two all-stars and two of some of the best players in the game now really good. And they're just going to run a freight train here. But I think that the seeding is going to play a factor into some of those other teams that are jockeying at the bottom, you know, basically five through 12. Uh, I think in two respects. One, if you're going to have to make the playoffs for the seeding uh, tournament, 
that's going to require more games. You'll lose potential days of rest uh, before the first round. That's number one. And then number two is what you said, you know, maybe they can advance past the first round, but you know, if you're meeting a Utah team or a Suns team, as opposed to say the Nuggets, um, every playoff series is going to be challenging the second round, but I think there is separation there, but I, I don't think that that's going to apply to the Lakers. Now, heaven forbid for them, say, Anthony Davis and LeBron James aren't going to be back right away and they have to use the time to knock off Russ during the playoffs, then that's when I think the script is flipped. But again, I think that they're going to be returning in time where they have enough regular season games for the conditioning and the rustiness to be chipped away at so that by the time the playoffs start, it is throttle ready to go. Uh, either way, it's going to be one heck of a last one month and a half of the season as we get nearer to the NBA playoffs with the final day being on May 16th. Great stuff there from Mark Medina, NBA writer for USA Today. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina, M-E-D-I-N-A. Mark, I really appreciate the time. Great stuff on Zion Williamson, and I hope to see you on more Zoom meetings in the in the future here covering the Pelicans. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks so much for the time as well. It was really fun. And um, you know what? I, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, the Pelicans are going to be part of the playoff picture, I think. So I'm sure I'll continue to moderate them moving forward. All right, good stuff there from Mark Medina of USA Today. Time to wrap things up for another FanDuel Friday. And joining us, as he always does, is Tom Vecchio of FanDuel. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at DFS underscore Tom. Happy Friday, Tom. It's a it's a busy weekend with baseball starting. And, of course, the Final Four. Uh, glad you can join us for a few minutes. I'm glad to be here. Be here. We have uh, 10 games on tonight's NBA slate. It should be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have the national games to talk about since the final four for women's is taking place tonight, but we do have the three point challenge. So um, before we get to Nikhil Alexander Walker, that's someone I wanted to bring up, but give me your picks tonight for, for three people worth watching for the three point challenge. So tonight there are two options that are very clear. They should be very popular. I don't always like going to the chalky options, uh, but one of them should be Damian Lillard going up against the Bucks. They are allowing 14.4 three-pointers per game. That's the fourth worst in the league. We see a very high 237 point over under, and it's Damian Lillard. We all know what he can do, pulling up from seemingly half court every night. The other very popular option is going to be Steph Curry going up against Toronto. They're the fifth worst in the league with the most three-pointers allowed per game, saying at 14.0. Again, it's Steph Curry. We know what he can do. But then kind of a sneaky one. Could be Malcolm Brogdon for the Indiana Pacers going up against the Hornets, who kind of got just embarrassed last night against the Brooklyn Nets. The Hornets are also bottom five in the league, and we see Brogdon coming in with eight three-point attempts or more in five of his last six games, and there's the potential for a bonus to be out tonight, just opening up more opportunity for him. What about a guy like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and he's been playing well lately in the absence of Lonzo Ball. We, As we're taping this, we don't know the injury status for Lonzo Ball yet, but if Ball is out again and Walker gets a start, is he someone maybe as a dark horse worth potentially playing tonight? Absolutely. We have seen him step into the starting lineup for several games in a row now, and he's actually been very consistent from a fantasy perspective, a player that I've written about and spoken about because he's been so, so good Eight straight games with seven three-point attempts or more is big for a what was a role player coming into the starting lineup now. Uh, it's a good matchup against the Hawks. I think we have a 232 over-under in this game, 233. It's going to be pretty solid. We see uh, good pace between these two teams. 
if we're going to be seeing seven or three, uh, three, seven or more three point attempts every game from him, it's always a player you want to be considering with that kind of upside. I'm glad he brought up a uh, volume of shots because Nikhil is definitely not afraid to let it fly. He had a career high 24 attempts uh, from the field last night. So it could be another case tonight against the Hawks team. Both teams are coming off of an overtime game uh, with the Hawks coming off with a double overtime win over San Antonio. But when you're tracking this game and tracking these stats for three-point shooting, how much does volume play uh, play in a, in a game like this? So volume goes hand-in-hand hand with, uh, you know, overall three-point percentage, which we'll get to in a minute. But volume ultimately is the most important because we want to be taking the players with the most upside. And, you know, when we talk about three-point percentage, the example I would give is a player like Joe Harris. Right now he's either one or two in the league jumping back and forth with Joe Ingles, sitting at 48.5%. That is phenomenal. He's a former three-point champion. We know what he can do. But right now he's taking 6.8 three-point attempts per game. That Nets offense is loaded with talent, and he doesn't always see the ball. The other example I would use would be Buddy Heald for the Sacramento Kings, who is shooting at 39.6% this year. That is factually lower than Joe Harris. He's a quote-unquote worse three-point shooter than Joe Harris. But Heald is averaging 10.3 three-point attempts per game, which is unbelievable. So when we're looking at volume, if Joe Harris's three-point ability is going to be capped at some point just because of the offense he's in, he can only hit four or five shot, uh, three-point shots on a nightly basis when Buddy Heald is taking 13, 14 three-point attempts. And even if he's only hitting five of those, it's going to be more than Joe Harris. With that being said, where does three-point percentage come into play? Because you can say, oh, well, Buddy Heald's not shooting as well as Joe Harris, but he could be taking a bunch of shots, but also not making them is something that you have to consider with certain players. How do you find that balance of looking at guys that take more of volume shots, but also keeping three-point percentage in mind? Or does that, does that not really matter in this case, just based on what the game is that you're playing? You have to look at both. You have to look at three-point percentage. You have to look at volume. But ultimately, the volume should take the lead based on the game format. Again, we have to focus on the game rules of what we're looking at for any fantasy sport. And when we're looking at the highest number of made three-pointers is what we're ultimately going after, we need the players with the highest volume. So right now, Buddy Heald is 85th in the league when it comes to three-point percentage, but he's the third highest when it comes to average three-point attempts per game. So we want that high average. Steph Curry is like 40 or 41st in the league when it comes to three-point percentage, but his average three points per game is the second highest in the league. So volume will always be king, whether it's in fantasy basketball or fantasy football, we want the player touching the ball. Should be interesting, and I'm glad we brought this up as we had a little bit more time this week with no nationally televised games. So I'm glad. Hopefully this helps some player, some people in the state of Louisiana, wherever you may be, play this game and Tom I appreciate the time I know it was a little bit of a short segment but hopefully soon we can talk about more than just a couple of games that are allowed here in Louisiana but until then I appreciate the insight we'll talk to you next Friday appreciate you having me on talk to you then all right that'll do it for this Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek I hope everyone has a great weekend stay safe hopefully the weather warms up just a little bit again Pelicans and Hawks tonight from the Smoothie King Center as the Pelicans wrap up the two-game home Sam because of the back-to-back 8 p.m. tip-off as we'll have it for you on the radio at 7.30 with pregame. And then it'll also be seen on Valley Sports New Orleans if you want to catch it on TV. Then the Pelicans will have a game on Easter Sunday as they'll take on the Houston Rockets as start of a three-game road trip. That'll take them through Houston, Atlanta, and Brooklyn. We'll be back on Tuesday with another podcast. We're hoping to get a really solid guest uh, for the Atlanta Hawks. I won't say who until we actually confirm them. 
Uh, we're hoping to get a solid guest on Tuesday as the Pelicans will take on the Hawks again and wrap up their season series in the span basically of four days. You know, hope everyone has a great Easter weekend. And until Tuesday, I'm Daniel Salerson for Mark Medina, Tom Vecchio. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seahawks.